0: Hi, my name is Daniel Batten, welcome to this podcast on investment in technology companies. This particular podcast is on the specifics of if you are an investor who does not come from a background of having been in tech companies or having invested in a lot of them, and you find yourself as an investor in a tech company, how you should behave in order to maximize your investment in that tech company. This podcast comes out of having observed over more than two decades, a number of investor behaviors which will either enhance or detract from the valuation of the company that you have invested in. One of the marvelous things about investing in a tech company is unlike investing in a hedge fund, you can have an active involvement in maximizing your return through what you do. That's not true of a hedge fund, that's not true of when you're investing in the share market or a whole lot of other investments. The other point is that it's not just your intention to want to do good, which is going to be enough because your attentions, if not matched by appropriate actions, can actually have the opposite impact of that which you seek. And I see that happen a lot, particularly with investors who are not experienced either in having worked in tech companies, particularly tech startups, or having invested in them in the past. So uh, before we get started on some things which are very practical, some some things you can pick up and you can do immediately, which don't take much time, which will have a massive impact on maximizing the valuation of the tech companies that you have invested in. Very simple things. Um, I'm a pragmatist, so a little bit about me and my background and why I'm qualified to say anything at all about this. I've been investing in tech companies since the year 2000. Of the tech companies that I've invested in, more than 85% of them have enjoyed positive returns. Only less than 15% have not. That's a pretty high strike rate, so that's more than six to one. Which in an industry where most tech companies do not get an investor return is well above average. And there's a reason for that. The other thing you should know about me is that I have been a tech entrepreneur, a serial tech entrepreneur. I've had senior leadership positions or been a founder and CEO in three different tech startups and all three of them had exit events. In other words, all three of them uh, were liquidated, bought by another company, which resulted in a uh, multi-times return to the original investors. Uh, which made a lot of investors very happy and was good for me personally. So I've done well both as a founder, as a leader and also as a tech investor. And and I say these things not to impress you but to impress upon you that I know a thing or two and I've seen over the years, over a couple of decades about some repeated patterns of where people go wrong with tech investment and some very simple things you can do about it. You don't have to read a lot, you don't have to know a lot. It's just about making some subtle amendments to some of the things you ask of the founders you've invested in, some of the things you measure, your mindset, and your disposition. So, let's get started. Uh, First, a story about me. So, uh, whilst I've done pretty well in the area of tech investment and creating tech companies, and I really know a whole lot about how to do that, uh, I'm not an expert at how to grow any business, and I learned that the hard way. It was after I'd been involved in my third tech startup and i just recruited a new chief executive to run the company which i had started. I stepped into doing other things, had some time freedom and I decided wouldn't it be fun to start a business in another sector, retail. And so I started a retail business. I bought an existing retail business and I thought, hey, I've run tech companies. How hard can retail be? Bad, bad question to ask yourself. Because here's what happened. That business that we bought, we ended up selling for 16% of what we paid for it. In other words, we, we took a profitable going concern and, and I was able to single handedly erode those returns, reduce its cash flows, increase its expenses. We lost money every single month for two years and we sold it for a fraction of what we bought it for. So I am not an expert on how to grow businesses per se. I do know a whole lot about how to grow tech companies. And I share that story with you because I had a painful learning, but I'm grateful for the learning. Could have been more painful. What it showed me was that I had been arrogant. i had arrogantly assumed that because I had success in one business area, that that would apply to other areas. And I learned the hard, painful financial way That's not true. That what i would learned in the tech sector did not carry over to other types of businesses. And that there are some very patent differences between how you optimise the growth of a tech company and how you optimise the growth of a non-tech company. And so just as i would made the mistake going from tech to non-tech, I see other investors making the same mistakes when they're going from non-tech to tech. In other words, it's very natural as a human being to assume that your knowledge from one sector carries over to the other. And in some cases it does, but in most cases it really does not. What I mean is, actually in all cases it doesn't, but within your the knowledge you have, yes the basic rules of profitability and, and all that stuff carry over, but the rest of it really doesn't. There are some sharp differences between how you run tech companies and how you invest in them, how you optimize your growth, and non-tech companies. So, I also want to share that story to say that um, there's no judgment here it's a very natural very human mistake to make uh, to have this assumption of what carries over and what doesn't so it's not without empathy uh, that i am sharing this and my hope and my desire is really to to help uh, people who are going through that journey in the opposite not to make the mistakes that i made when going from tech to non-tech so when you're going from a background say you might have made your money in retail or bricks and mortar or property investment or property development or timber and hardware or whatever it might be and suddenly you find yourself investing in these high-tech companies there are a couple of things about tech companies that make the rules completely different and the things you should ask of your founders completely different let me give you one example right now Uh, one mistake that i see a lot of non-tech investors asking of the founders of the tech companies they've invested in is when are you going to be profitable now here's why that's a bad question to ask. So uh, one of the companies that I was involved with, called Biomatters, we became profitable after six years. We incorporated in 2003, we were profitable in 2009. Six years, that's all it took us. It took Amazon 18 years, so what does that mean? Does that mean that we were three times more intelligent than Amazon? We had three times more ideas, we were three times smarter at business? No, it does not mean that. Because our valuation when we sold, Is a small fraction of what Amazon is worth today. Uh, I would like you to remember this. We did not beat our hands on our chests and say, yes, in six years we've got profitable. Now, Amazon took 18 years to become profitable, not because they didn't know what they were doing, but because they did know what they were doing. Zero still isn't profitable, not because they don't know what they're doing, but because they do know what they're doing, And they know that the game with tech investment is not to become prematurely profitable. If you look at the... Let me give you an analogy. Um, A a horse, when it's born, a young horse, can walk pretty much straight away. Uh, An alligator, when it's born, can fend for itself without any parental involvement at all. Fish, same thing. Humans are utterly um, hopeless and useless. Can't walk, can't talk, can't do anything without their parents... For, for a good year, it takes until they can even walk. And so startup companies are very similar. They take longer to get going, but that's because they've got further to go. They've got more potential. And if you look at the top 10 companies in the world today, all 10 of them are tech companies. All 10 of the world's top companies by market valuation today are tech companies. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that tech companies have more potential to become ultra-high growth, ultra-high return on investment than any other company you can possibly invest in, particularly if you've been fortunate enough to find a good opportunity which is a tech startup, pre-IPO, early stage, and you've done sensible things to de-risk it. That's a wonderful opportunity for astronomical returns, the like of which doesn't exist anywhere else apart from perhaps cryptocurrency investment, which is something that I'm not personally that involved with or that interested in, because again, it's a sector I don't know. So, by the way, that doesn't mean if you don't know the tech sector, you shouldn't invest in it. What it means is you shouldn't assume that your knowledge of generating money outside the tech sector applies to the tech sector. So be aware of the possibilities of blind spots, otherwise you fall into the same mistake that I did. So, Amazon took 18 years to become profitable. Why? Because it understood that if you're going to build a skyscraper as opposed to a two-story building, you have got to dig some deep foundations. And If you're building a tech company, same thing. What are the foundations? It means that you actually, to build a skyscraper, you've got to start by digging into the earth for a long time, pouring a lot of concrete. And it's not until you get to ground level that you're actually profitable, and then you start building. But if you don't do that, if you don't build those deep foundations, if you don't take the time, if you rush to become prematurely profitable, what it means is you don't have the capacity to build something that can scale up 100 stories such as our company, for example. We actually became profitable too early. I see that happening with a lot of tech companies and a lot of pressure that they're under from people who prematurely pressure them with that question when it's not the right question. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's all very well, Daniel, but how do I tell the difference between a company that's not yet profitable, which is like Amazon, which is because they know what they're doing, and a company which is not profitable because they don't know what they're doing. Um, That's a great question and that is, I'm glad you asked, that is important to distinguish. And there's two things that can give you some science. In fact, there's there's a whole bunch of things. But there's two things immediately in founder behavior that you should look out for. I see this a lot. Um, And by the way, the third thing I've done is over the last 10 years or so, I've personally coached and mentored over 50 CEOs of tech companies. So the patterns that I'm sharing with you are the patterns from having seen a lot of founder behaviors and seeing red flags, seeing where I as an investor should have concerns and would probably never invest in the first place, and seeing where I'm seeing the right behaviors. One of the reasons that over 85% of my investments have been successful was good due diligence not just on the business opportunity but on the founder themselves. So there's a couple of things I look out for. Number one is focus. Uh, One thing that leads to founders building teams which are too big, too early, and not being on the right trajectory to ever become profitable, and just building a big hole without knowing how to pour the concrete in it properly, is focus. Focus, that's the number one thing as an investor you gotta look out for in a tech founder. Do they have focus? Are they in the habit of coming to you with some new ideas about what they think they can do before they've completed the last one? That's a red flag behavior. Absolute red flag because it means they don't have a culture of nailing what they say they're going to do before they come with new ideas now There's a difference because there's flexibility right There's changes in market conditions Uh, But you can distinguish that You can distinguish that So the first thing is do they have clear focus are they in the spirit of saying they'll do X and following through and doing X now? Notice that I didn't say that they do X within the time frame they promised. And the reason for that is, out of all the investments I've made into tech companies, um, only two of them actually succeeded in meeting their timelines. They said they would achieve things in. And they were companies that I'd personally been very hands-on in coaching, so they had an unfair advantage. But of the companies that I had not coached, none of them achieved their targets in the time frame they said they would. And this is pretty common, because founders are optimists, and also because, which is good, you want them to be, because they have to believe in themselves. But also because they don't know what they don't know. And founders uncover things. They cover um, unknown competitive pressures or unknown regulatory hurdles or, or just things they couldn't have known in advance. Some you can, some you cannot in advance. And these things can slow you down, cause it to take longer. There's an old adage in the investment community that it always takes twice as long as you think it'll take and twice as much money as you think you're going to need to achieve your goals. So... Um, little anecdote about that, so when Peter Thiel and Founders Fund invested in Facebook, this is when Facebook had first come, now remember Facebook is one of the top 10 tech companies in the world today, has a market capitalization of hundreds of billions of dollars. And so if you were an early investor in that company, if you put half a million in, you got more than thousands of times return, not thousands of percent, thousands of times the return on your investment. Every dollar was worth more than $1,000 today. So, when Peter Thiel put half a million in, shrewd guy, uh, an investment which is worth over a billion dollars today, multiple billions in fact, he said to Mark Zuckerberg, "Okay, your goal for the next year, because remember, Peter Thiel, tech investor and he's been a tech founder, so he knows the right metrics to give to founders, the right questions to ask them. He did not say become profitable. He had no interest in that at that stage. He said, your goal for the next year is to increase user adoption. So this is one of the things you, you, because you do need to measure things and you do need to require your founders to measure things, but encourage them to measure what matters. User adoption is the game in the tech tech investment space. You want to invest in companies like Facebook or whoever who have the opportunity to carve out a monopoly or a partial monopoly in the area that they are in. That's a great game. It's not the only way you can win, but it's one of the ways you can win. Now, very few companies in the world will ever become the size of Facebook, and that's unrealistic to expect that, but they can achieve monopolies or near monopolies in the sector they happen to be in. That's absolutely possible. And so the game there is like Uber, it's user adoption. Are they, rapid, or zero, are they rapidly gaining new users faster than any other of their competitors can? And carving out a niche that other ones can then not get into because they're charging a rate which is so easy for the users to say yes to, and it creates a competitive barrier to entry because they're so well funded that anyone else who's wanting to come into the sector is going to look at that company and think, "Wow, they're already ahead of us, number one, number two. They're sailing close to the wind, in other words, they've obviously got some strong investment backing because based on what they're charging for their product they're not going to be profitable and it sends a message like, go away, you're not going to make money here, we're already too far ahead of you to the rest of the market. And they're growing so fast that a competitor doesn't think they can come onto the track and suddenly catch up and win a 10,000 metre race having come two laps late, even if they're a faster runner. So that's important. Facebook was set the goal of to get 1 million users in the first year post-investment. They didn't achieve that goal. I'll say that again, they didn't achieve that goal. Peter Thiel had not actually given them a strict investment, it was a convertible debt uh, for equity. In other words, he had the right, because they missed their milestone, to say, right, you missed your milestone, I'm out of here, you losers. Uh, I'm pulling my money out, you have to pay me back. Very sensibly, he chose not to do that. He saw that user adoption was following a fast trajectory and it was gonna get even faster. He said, hey, you missed your milestone. I'm keeping my money in, thanks very much. Smart decision. Facebook missed its delivery milestones, but not by a huge amount. So when an investor sees that some founder gets close to what they said, that's, that's fantastic. Even if it takes twice as long, that's still fantastic. Because what it means is they're going to keep on going until. Second thing you really want to look out for in an attribute is resilience. But I'll talk about more what you look out for later because that's actually another podcast about how you choose which tech companies to invest in. This podcast is really focused on how to be as an investor once you've already invested, so you don't unwittingly do things or ask things as a founder that actually end up destroying your investment and destroying the company despite your best intentions by applying the standards of a non-tech company to a tech company. So, if profitability is not the right question to be asking, then two things must be true. Number one, you've got to have balls of steel here. Because there's going to be time, if you're used to investing in bricks and mortar companies where you can see the results in front of your eyes and you can see a trajectory towards profitability, suddenly you're investing in a tech company, what's going to happen? Fear. Fear destroys investment value. Fear is the enemy of investors getting a return on investment because it causes you to do stupid things which destroy the possibility of your company getting a return. What sort of crazy things do investors do? Uh, When they operate through fear, when they're putting a whole lot of money, they're building the deep foundations and suddenly realize it's going to take a long time to build that 100-story building. Well, they might do things like saying, well, you're taking too long, so we're going to have to make some uh, cuts. You're going to have to reduce the size of your team. I've seen that happen multiple times. The moment that happens, that tech company is not going to get an astronomical return. Uh, What else might they say? Well, they might pressure them to change their strategy and say, stop going for user adoption, start going for profitability, put up the rates you're charging, get better. Hey, you could charge much more. And so they do that. They start charging more. What happens? They become profitable sooner. What also happens? Two things. Number one, it slows down their rate of user adoption, which does two things. Number one, it signals to their competitors, hey, these people aren't going that fast. You could catch up. You could charge less and overtake them. And that's exactly what happens. That's a strategy that Microsoft used to take out Lotus Notes. They came in, they charged nothing. With a worse product, they took out a superior product. So the strategy of trying to charge more to get profitable sooner is a bad strategy. It also alerts other people, hey, these people are earning some money here. Maybe it's worth entering. Whereas charging very little at the start to get rapid user adoption sends other people a message, don't even bother trying. Because we're gonna go too far ahead, we're gonna get too many users, and you're not gonna earn that much money anyway because you're gonna have to undercut our already very low rates of what we're charging. So that's that's the typical thing that happens when fear starts to dominate. Uh, The other thing which is important is, and I see this a lot, You have to have very good self-awareness. You have to be honest with yourself and go, you know what, I just don't know the sector. And as a result, whilst I know business very well, this guy here running the company who's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years younger than me probably knows more about how to run a tech business than I do. Get used to it, suck it up. Don't let your arrogance get in the way just as I let the arrogance get in my way when I bought a retail business. Because that's disastrous, and arrogance is the other thing that can lead to investment failure. So recognize where your knowledge falls off like a cliff. So what does that mean you should do? You should defer and trust the founder on everything? That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is you bring people in to augment your experience. Advisors, mentors, coaches, board members, whoever who have the experience within the tech ecosystem that you do not have. People who've had experience running multiple tech companies, multiple investments successfully into tech companies, and have been mentors to other tech companies, sat on the board of other tech companies, these sorts of people, preferably all the above, because they will know something about how to look after your investment, how to put in place the the measures that matter, and how to also be an interface. uh, When you possibly do have a little bit of fear and how to say, hey, it's okay, don't worry, I have as much business experience as you do, and in in an area where you have invested, you've put me in here to look after your investment. So here's what you should be measuring and can talk to you in that direct way, can meet you eye to eye and give you the reassurance that you're on the right trajectory because they have the credibility to demonstrate to you that they can do that from their past achievements, past results, both investment and tech companies. So, get people in who can advise. So what metrics should you be looking at? Well, one of the metrics that you want to be looking at in terms of measuring whether the company is on the right track or not, is rate of user adoption, length of the sales cycle. You know, is the rate of user adoption going up and is it going up at an exponential rate or a rapid rate? Is the length of the sales cycle going down? Are people finding ways to automate it, finding ways to make the sales cycle more profitable? Right? These are two numerical measures. And there are some soft measures as well, which are equally important. One of the most important measures is, in fact, user feedback. I'll tell you a quick story about that. So one of my friends, uh, his name's Will, and he was a very successful tech entrepreneur. He built one of the first ever... In fact, the first ever decent email applications for a smartphone, Palm Pilot back in the early 2000s. Achieved seven-figure profitability very early and kept on going astronomically because of some reasons to do with the structure of the company. The company subsequently imploded, uh, but in the meantime, he'd done extremely well, earned more money than he could probably spend in a long time, and the rest is history. So I talked to him one time and I asked him about strategy and he said we knew we were going to be successful the moment we saw our user feedback i asked him if he'd done a business plan he said we wrote on the back of the the envelope two things how many of our products we could sell and how much we charge for each one we multiply those two numbers together and then because we knew the industry and we would played in it for a little while and we'd seen the early feedback from our beta trials we knew that people would buy it and the rest was history. Now it won't always be that simple. Most of the tech companies you're investing in will not be B to C. They'll be not selling to end consumers like Apple do. They will for the most part be selling to other businesses, so it'll be a little bit more complicated than that, but it shouldn't be vastly more complicated than that. So user feedback The strength, the support of it is very important because in a tech company, those users are the ones who will act like the unpaid sales team. They'll be the evangelists and they will help spread the message very rapidly. So if you're getting very strong user feedback, not just comments like, I like it, it's great, the team's awesome, the usual stuff, which doesn't differentiate you, but this technology is amazing. This has saved me months of pain. This has got a return on investment within a short period of time, within a month, whatever. Those sorts of Bits of feedback, they are gems because they will encourage the next round of people to buy your product. Same happened at our company. Our sales tripled within a month because my chief operating officer contacted the people who would bought our product and said, how's it going? They said, we love it. He said, well, please tell some other people that. Hey, that's a great idea. Tripled our sales simply because he invoked our unpaid sales team, i.e., our customers. So user feedback is another thing to look at to check if you're on track or not. Market size, right? Something you want to check out at the start of your due diligence process, but then check in. Is the market size still as big as you thought it was? Or have you found a new market that you could potentially enter? Are there other competitors in the space? And are they ahead of you? Are they behind you? What are they doing? How well funded they are? These sorts of things. And... Is the founder starting to cultivate the right relationships with channel partners, with industry players, and with upstream venture capitalists? In other words, is he or she not just selling products, but is he or she selling to exactly the right people that he or she should be, developing strategic relationships and empowering the team beneath them to do the sales that maybe six months ago he or she was doing? That's a great sign, because that shows that person's got a great culture, They've built a great team, they're a good leader. They are getting other people to step up rather than stepping down, which frees them up to have higher value conversations. So what is the CEO spending their time doing? Are they having strategic sales conversations with channel partners, with industry associations, with upstream venture capitalists? These are the people that the person should be talking to. Are they spending time coaching their team to do the atomic sales, in other words, the selling one customer at a time, a few customers at a time, that they used to be doing. These are the signs. And when you meet their team without the founder or founders in the room, what vibe do you get? Do they have a great culture? If they do, that's safeguarding your investment because what that means is that will unlock the discretionary effort of that team and that entire team is gonna function like business owners and The thing that really stops tech companies working is when you, I'm not gonna say bad hires, because great hires are made, uh, not found. So yes, you wanna find great people, but actually there's more about creating and unlocking the genius within those people, allowing them to reach their potential, putting them in a great culture, and encouraging them to think like business owners. And not every leader at the moment has the skills to do that. It can absolutely be taught and be coached. It's one of the reasons I coach these tech founders because it's so important that the leaders understand how to do that because it unlocks the value of your company and your investment through unlocking the value of the people who have the smart ideas that otherwise they wouldn't have. And that's important. Because remember, smart ideas can come from everywhere, not necessarily the leader. Google thrived in the early days because One of the women who was part of the senior leadership team came from Russia said, I think we should do pay-for-click advertising. It did not come from the founders, that idea. So if you've got a great culture where everyone feels able to contribute great ideas, those great ideas will cause the company to thrive. Some of them will be the difference between success and failure, and others will just give you incremental gains every single day, and both are super important, and both only occur when you've got that fantastic culture. So those are the things you should be concerned about when you are an investor in a tech company. Take your eye off profit. Watch your own fears. Check if you're being arrogant. Watch if you're assuming that tech companies behave the same way that non-tech companies do, they do not. And the reason, by the way, is that two things are true in tech that are not true elsewhere. Number one, you have a product which you have to build, right? If if you're shipping uh, wine, well, you don't have to create grapes before you create wine. But if you're doing software, you have got to create everything from, from scratch, the raw materials and the refined product. So that's different, and that takes more time. And then second thing is true, because the product, everyone knows what wine is, but no one knows what your product is. So with wine, you don't have to explain to people what wine is before you can sell to them. But with a tech product you do, you need to describe from scratch. And so that takes time too, to evolve your message, to work out the right message, the right sales strategy, the mar- right marketing approach for something that the world has never seen an example of before. And because the product is not um, just there waiting to be created, you've got to create it. And because the message is something that people have never seen before about that, then it's going to take more money. And that means there's a third complexity. So there's an additional product complexity. There's an additional sales complexity in tech investment, which means that you need investment to pay for the additional time that it takes to build the product. And to build the message, and then you've got that third complexity, which is the investment cycle, which means deeper foundations, lots of digging into the earth before you become profitable. That's just the lie of the land. So get used to it. Get used to, to the idea that the company may not be profitable for a long time. Give yourself reassurance, not by is it becoming profitable, but is it going through the metrics that we have agreed are important that show that it is on the right trajectory just like an Amazon or a Zero. And Cultivate those relationships with upstream venture capitalists. Be mindful of the fact that beyond a certain extent, your pockets may not be deep enough for the level of investment when it gets into millions or tens of millions, or maybe even more, that that tech company will require. And so make sure that founder and you have a strategy to cultivate relationships with those upstream venture capitalists so you can get the necessary capital to put into the company to continue to grow your valuation your return, and the company. I trust this has been useful. And if you've got questions, you can contact me and you can follow up. I'm I'm really happy to share this. Um, My purpose in doing this is I wanna see more tech companies succeed. I wanna see more tech investors into this tech sector become successful investors. And I wanna help to flush out some of the things that I see repeatedly that cause unnecessary friction between tech investors or investors into tech and their tech founders.